Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Never, ever give up hope. I am so pleased to have Never, Ever Give Up Hope now broadcasting in over 140 countries. And that indicates strongly to me that this message is not only reaching out to every corner of this globe, but also that there are people around the entire planet who are looking for messages and stories of hope. Each one of my guests has such a message, and everybody is different. Everybody has their own struggles and their own circumstances that they need need to overcome. And so that's why the show is unique as well, because there's such a wide range of topics. There are people who are struggle with finances. They have a struggle with death in their families or of a spouse. They have issues that have affected their health, possibly severely. They have overcome uh, great hurdles in their health, such as cancer. There are so many different aspects of this show that people can relate to, all of which are in the area of, I was in a state of hopelessness, and now I am on the other side. Now I have overcome, and I want to share my story. And that's the message my guests have for each and every one of you. And I am so pleased for each of you who are listening, and that those of you who leave reviews and leave your comments and your feedback, it is so greatly appreciated because that's what makes the show. That's what it's all about, reaching out to others, helping one another, encouraging each other, and I'm so thankful that you are here today. With me today is Amy C. Teasdale. Amy is a life coach and a speaker with 28 years of experience in psychology and personal development. Also on her bio, she said she was human. Well, I am a real dog lover, and I haven't interviewed any dogs on the show. So I'm <laughs> yeah. glad that you're human, because that makes that makes you relate to other people better. Amy also helps ambitious people who are holding themselves back. And I think this is going to be an interesting area that she's going to discuss today, and that they are not achieving what they could achieve. And that's what you're going to address. So mm. I really appreciate that, Amy, and welcome. Thank you. Great to uh, be chatting to you. And you are in England, correct? That's correct. I'm in London right now. So it must be evening for you. That's correct, yeah. Now, you grew up in a low-income family, and I think that this has definitely affected you because as I was reading your story, you said that there were a lot of struggles that you had to overcome. And also, Mm. 
in your childhood, however that affected you, I'm mm. sure contributed to your low confidence and your self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So let's yeah. start there, Amy, and share a little bit about your childhood, what you mm. were struggling with, what you had to overcome, and maybe mm. who the real Amy was at that point. Mm. So I, I wouldn't say I necessarily had anything hugely bad happen to me as a child. However, I do remember not being a particularly happy child and not having a very happy childhood for various reasons. And and one of those reasons, as you mentioned, was was being in a low income family. So we were we never had a lot of money growing up uh, and I would get bullied at school because of that, because I might be the only kid in the class who couldn't that wasn't dressed in like just the regular high street designer labels. You know, everybody was wearing Adidas and Nike and things like that. But I wasn't. I was wearing the, the really cheap pair of shoes that were bought off the market. And so I was getting picked on for that and and and, uh, and bullied, essentially, uh, because I was kind of the only one. So that that was um, a big struggle for me, uh, sort of dealing with that. I think the lack of um, money in our family also, I think it, it meant that I ended up living a, a relatively sheltered life until I was 18. So I'd never been away abroad uh, with my family, the sort of nearest that we might go on holidays. Uh, you know, caravan site, couple of a uh, couple of towns away, or something like that. Um, and you know, whilst I appreciate my family, you know, doing everything they could to me with what uh, and could for me with what little they had. Um, as I said, it 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 was quite a sheltered life up until when I was able to go to university. And um, in England, um, we get we get sponsorship from the government or we get government loans basically in order to be able to pay to go to university. And that was the only reason why I was able to do that. Uh, but it was when I got there and then started meeting people from all sorts of different walks of life and different backgrounds that all of a sudden my horizons were opened essentially. And so I feel because of that, that that would have had an impact on my confidence, my self-esteem. I remember all throughout childhood, um, talk just talking to the boys in class like I, I couldn't even s- say a word to it. if a boy spoke to me in the class I, I just couldn't reply I just completely stammer and stutter and just total sort of shyness embarrassment another thing that I dealt with as a child was I had parents who were always always arguing uh, so my parents they're not married but they are together under the same house and uh, my my whole memory of my childhood is of my parents arguing and I, I distinctly remember at a very young age something about six or seven reflecting on the fact that they were arguing so much and and realizing that my parents were only together still because of the sake of me and my older brother and that was it mm. that was the only reason why they were together and you know as a sort of six or seven year old realizing that um that that sort of puts a lot of pressure on you yes, I suppose definitely. and a lot of guilt yes. you know um seeing your your parents and your mum and dad unhappy together because of you essentially um that's that's quite hard um and I think something that's also kind of surfaced as uh, as I've gotten older, as I've as I've gotten into um, relationships as an adult, relationships with men, I've noticed also there were pre, there were insecurities there in terms of um, needing to feel loved and needing to feel secure, which I am now able to sort of trace back to my childhood and see how 
those insecurities would have developed because at the end of the day your first two relationships in life that you ever that you ever get into are with your parents and so they become your model or your framework for how you develop relationships with other people later in life um so yeah there were I, I also remember um as a kid like I said I just wasn't generally particularly happy uh, I remember at one point I did self-harm um not necessarily for the reason to kill myself or commit suicide or anything like that it was I think it was more just a cry of attention um some kind of you know need to feel loved or need to feel secure or or something like that um also with friendships as well I remember my friendships being very um very much in turmoil when I was younger I seem to remember I'd have a best friend for maybe a term or a year at school and then I'd go back uh after the after the summer holidays and then that person wasn't my friend anymore um and I think perhaps what contributed to that was uh again because uh because of where I live so the the town which I lived in was it was quite a socioeconomically deprived town anyway um you know it wasn't a particularly wealthy town obviously um so yes yeah, so I remember having very up and down friendships friendships would come and go very easily I'd be friends with somebody for a term at school and then the next term I'd after the school holidays I'd I'd go back to school and that person didn't want to know me very, anymore and I think a part of that was again due to the sheltered life I was living because of the town that I was living in it wasn't it it was quite a poor town quite run down uh, not very high socioeconomic status and and my mum was always very very protective over us as children she didn't want us to go and play in the street because there were thugs around and people beating each other up or people taking drugs and stuff like that and so I wasn't allowed to just go and hang out and play out like all the other kids was and I think because of that that impacted my social life and I wasn't as comfortable sort of making friends I wasn't able to maintain friendships easily when I was you know on school holidays for six weeks because back then you know we didn't have mobile phones we didn't have texts or anything like that um so so that was so that was difficult so there were so there were there were quite a few um things like that which um like I said I don't I don't feel it really contributed to a particularly happy childhood and and created a few struggles for me in my life. Do you feel that your parents, possibly your mother in particular, was aware of that and trying to help you through it? Or were you basically on your own? Um, I do remember feeling on my own uh, because I remember when I did the self-harm, I like I said, I did it for attention and nobody actually noticed that I did it. Um, so my mom didn't actually notice that I'd got this cut on my arm. Um, and so I remember at that point kind of feeling like, oh, if I've got a problem, I'm on my own and I've just got to sort it and I've got to deal with it. And that's that's sort of I guess that's created a very independent me. So I've 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 been very independent for, you know, pretty much most of my life. Um, I'm, I'm, I still am. Uh, and I think that's probably a, a source of that um I think if my mum was to hear that she'd be horrified um, right because right. because it, it 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 wasn't that she wasn't there to sort of help me and she obviously did want the best for me and she did want to look out for me and I do remember with me um I was struggling with low confidence and shyness and my mum actually 
suggested that I went to see a hypnotherapist uh, when I was uh, a, a sort of young teenager in order to try and help me. So she she did want to help me. It wasn't that she it wasn't that I was actually left by myself, but at the time, I don't know. That's that's kind of how I felt, I suppose. Now, what advice, if any, do you have for parents in a similar situation? Like possibly mm. what are the signs that they should look for? Because there are many households that are not happy and the mm. parents are trying to make the best of it. Are there mm. any kind of warning signals that parents should be looking for, especially mm. in this scenario, that you mm. could possibly advise them? I think it's quite difficult to say because different children can respond differently um i would i would definitely look for cries of attention you know if they're if they're playing up or if they're um they're they're stating things or doing things which seem to be in order to get attention then i would perhaps look into that and look into seeing well why does the child feel that they need to get attention for something um i think really the best advice would be to um, to be very mindful of how, I mean, children don't know any better. So when there are things going on in the household, whether it be the parents arguing or maybe there's a, a divorce happening or something like that, children, children sort of automatically take it kind of personally and take it to mean something about them. And I think my best advice would be to be very mindful of that and to talk to the child and to make sure they understand that it's not about them. It's not something that they've done or they've caused or it's not their fault or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, just being just being mindful of that, I guess. I think that's great advice because it, it just you have to give that reassurance to the children mm. They're, yeah, they're they don't really have mm. the emotional breaks that we do as Absolutely. adults, and Absolutely. so their emotions are based on what they're feeling around them. Correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My my other piece of advice uh, to parents on that would be to really uh, show your child love and affection often, and just saying "I love you," but also making it that that love isn't conditional upon something because another thing that I kind of struggled with was a feeling of not being good enough and I distinctly remember a time when I'd done some homework and I was really proud of what I'd done and I went to show my mum but my mum corrected it and it wasn't quite right and I remember just this devastating crushing feeling of it's not good enough or you know I wasn't capable of whatever it is that I was doing and so so really sort of praising children for their effort is a really good way to help the child feel more confident and, and feel more, um, well, less self-doubt. Don't You know, they won't feel like they're not good enough, essentially, because if you're praising a child for the effort they've put in, then then that is a direct reflection on them rather than sort of criticising or critiquing what they produced um, and whether it was good enough or, or something like that. And, you know, not sort of not sort of making love conditional, like, oh, if you be a good boy today, then I'll love you today, but I'm not going to love you if you're not going to behave kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. that love really needs to be conditional and it needs to be shown. Um, 
continuously. Well, there are so many emotions that children go through anyway in the different mm. stages as they are growing up, and they yeah. do have hormonal changes and whatever. Yeah. So they're, you know, it's really a, an individual thing, isn't it? But like you yeah. said, the reinforcement of love um, mm. and maybe just making it special too and making them feel special probably, ha- you know. Yeah. Did you ever get that or did you feel like you were kind of left out in the cold? Uh, I, I suppose I... I actually always felt like I wasn't as loved as much as my brother. My brother was the older brother, and I think because he was the first child, uh, he seemed to – I mean, there was quite a big age gap as well. So at the time, I felt things were unfair because he got to do things that I wasn't allowed to do. I mean, looking back now, I can see that's pretty obvious considering he's six years older than me, and obviously he can do things at 12 that a six-year-old can't do. But at the time, I I felt there was – things unfair um and I just I I felt like there was different attention sort of given to my brother rather than me whether that's true or not I don't know it's probably just made up but like I said it, it my perception of the t- at the time was that were, were you in a victim mode and if so I'm sure that this would change when you had you know, your transformational mm. thinking yeah. change your life. But yeah. do you think that that is maybe part and parcel to what a lot of these kids go through is they feel yeah. like victims and that's they can't really get over that hurdle? Yeah. E- even with the positive reinforcement, that's, that, that's got to be really a tough one. In terms of the, the victim, I think, yeah, of course, I think children... I think children are very susceptible to feeling like they're the victim or something like that because I mean to realize that we're not victim in victims in life and to realize that we are responsible for our own feelings and things don't just happen to us is is a very mature approach to life um to the point that there are still many many adults in the world that feel like they're victims and think that you know they suffer at the helm of other things or other people or whatever and you know if if adults struggle with that then we can't expect children to develop that level of maturity you know because of course they're not gonna sort of know any better and especially especially when you're much younger and you know you don't have that world experience you haven't necessarily gone out and met loads of other people and experienced the world and stuff like that so yeah it's very easy for children to to fall into that victim mode and and to take things personally and to take things about us you know like I said with my parents arguing it was very difficult for me not to take that blame or that guilt I suppose and there are different types of personalities I'm sure that some would stay in that place you were not Mm. one of them so Mm. you had to be I'm I'm going to guess here. You would have to have told yourself, even as mm. a, as a youngster, that mm. uh, things will get better. I'm going to get through this. Were you kind of mm. your own coach in that respect? No, yeah, definitely. I I do sort of feel that I was my own coach, and I think it's partly because of the upbringing and my unhappiness as a child, which probably really. Uh, gave birth to my interest in psychology and interpersonal development. I I remember ever since um, my sort of mid-teens, if I was if I was to ask for a book for Christmas or my birthday, it would be some kind of um, 
maybe a self-help book or maybe some kind of psychology book. I remember reading The Female Brain when I was about 16 and trying to understand (laughs) women's brains and how we work and why women are different to men and things like that. And I I think that was probably stemmed from the fact that, you know, I, I wasn't happy and I didn't right. I didn't have right. a great childhood or whatever and and so I, I really did want to to learn about all of that and so um so yeah so that's that kind of gave birth to that interest and that passion I guess um the I suppose the other thing to do with my background and my childhood which which was actually a blessing um well I, I think this is something that I've now realized later on whereas at the time I saw my low income and poor family and poor working class town and whatever as as a bad thing. But now, actually, as I'm much older and much more mature, I can reflect on it and and be grateful for it because that meant that my parents, you know, they really wanted the best for me and, and they knew that there was a better life for me outside of the town that I grew up in, but they knew they wouldn't be able to provide that for me or to give that to me. So they always really did encourage me to do well at school to get a good education so that I could go and create that life for myself and so um, I think that kind of drive and that ambition actually also comes from that as well so you know it's it's two ways of looking at the same thing I can kind of look at it as a bad thing and I had a uh, an unhappy childhood but now actually I can think you know what that that experience is what made me who I am and I'm, right. I'm actually really grateful for it now exactly and that's the only way you can look at no matter what you go yep. through and all of my guests say that I yep. wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't gone through that that doesn't mean Absolutely. you're going to be somebody bad or anything but mm. it just it gave you um insight as well yeah. you know and, and that's one of the reasons that a lot of my guests such as yourself want to help others mm. it's as yeah. a result of what you have been through yeah now one morning you woke up and you said okay I'm going to change my life I'm mm-hmm. going to start a new journey tell us mm-hmm. about that time yeah so um I guess it all kind of began um not long I moved to London after I graduated from university and I moved to London because at the time I was at university I was I was in a relationship and not long after we moved to London together we broke up and at the time uh, I basically at the time that relationship ended I kind of realized that without the relationship in my life I didn't really have much else going on it was just it was just that boyfriend and then without it I didn't have much else. I didn't really have my own hobbies. I didn't really have many of my own friends. I didn't know what I wanted to do for a career. So I was just doing a job that I didn't particularly like at all. And uh, that was a huge turning point for me because, like I said, when the relationship ended, I I realized that this is not how I want to spend my life. And I didn't want my life just to be about one guy or one thing. And then when that disappears, it's all over. And so, so that was kind of, a pivotal moment where I, I actually read the book Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. Yeah. Um, and through that, I created I created what I call um, – actually, this is the sort of foundation for the Love Life Plan, which is the free download, which I know we're going to talk about later. Um, it's basically – separating your life up into different areas that are important to you and I set out and decided well what would a great life look like in each of these areas so for example my career uh, friends and family 
a relationship, hobbies, etc. You know, what do I want life to look like in each of these areas? And I've I've literally been using it ever since then, which was about six or seven years ago. Uh, I created that. Obviously, it's evolved and changed along the way, but I still use it as a template and a guide. Um, uh, and around at the same time as well, as I said. Um, being in London, I was I was able to start exploring more. I was able to start meeting people, uh, able to start just getting out there and, and seeing, learning about myself and what I liked, what I didn't like, what I wanted to be doing. And um, I remember just meeting people who were doing just amazing things that I'd never really even heard of before. Um, there were things that I didn't think I was capable of doing. So at the time, you know, I still really struggled with self-doubt. Um, and I remember I met somebody who was a year younger than me at the time. And she said, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a business. And I was like, what? Like, how are you going to just start a business? What on earth are you going to start a business in? How do you know anything about running the, running the business? And she said, I, I don't know. I'm just going to decide what it is and I'm going to make it happen. And then sure enough, she did. And she's now one of the most successful entrepreneurs that I know. And that was incredible for me because at the time mm. I was saying to myself, when she said that, I was like, oh, I could never run my own business. I can't do right, that. What right. on earth could I possibly do? Um, I also met women who again around the same sort of age as me early early to mid 20s they'd go off traveling around the world by themselves and like I said I was I'd, I'd never really even gone abroad with my parents so I was quite late in terms of actually going leaving the country um and exploring and I was like oh no I could never do that by myself no 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 way I can't do that how could you do that but also because I was really shy and like I said I I was never the person that was able to start a conversation with a stranger I distinctly remember being on holiday with one of my friends and there was somebody sat next to us on the bus and she just started a conversation with him like she knew him and I was and I just turned I was like just thought to myself how on earth do you do that I just can't do that but fortunately meeting all these people you know kind of planted all these seeds and ideas in my mind and I didn't want to be the person that said I can't do that uh-huh. I wanted to be the person who was like them, who was coming back from the things that they'd done and said, I did that. I, you know, I, I wanted to be that person that said, I did that. I made that happen. This is what's um, this is what's been going on for me. I, I didn't want to be the person that was left behind saying I can't. And again, that was another sort of real big turning point for me all around the same sort of time. And what what then happened was I actually just a strange twist of fate. I I recruited somebody to come and work for the company that I worked for, and we became quite close friends. And she actually used to work on cruise ships many years before, and this just reminded me that I had this idea of wanting to work on cruise ships myself when I was a, when I was sort of in my last years at school. And I thought, oh, yeah, I remember I used to have a dream about working on cruise ships. I'll just have a look to see what, what jobs are available on cruise ships. I, I don't even know what they what jobs there are. And I had a look, and I remember the first result that came up was trainee photographer. And the funny thing was that in the six months prior to that happening, I had been learning photography as a hobby because of the fact that I'd created this new love life plan for myself uh, you know I decided that one of the things that I wanted to do in my life was learn how to take 
good photographs and so mm. I've been learning photography and it was just it was just like a string of green lights uh you know down a highway yes. um it was just go 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 and so I applied for the job as a photographer on the cruise ships and I got it and a few months later off I went and it was it was a huge it was a huge big brave step for me mm-hmm. um but I kind of realized that if I wanted to make it work uh, the job on the cruise ships, then I would have to overcome my shyness. I would have to overcome my lack of confidence. And so I decided to challenge myself to go traveling by myself before joining the cruise ships. And I actually took myself off to South America for three weeks by myself. And even even then, you know, even that wasn't just straightforward, get up and go and do it. I remember I was looking into the trip and researching it. And I remember closing my lid of my laptop thinking oh don't be stupid you can't do this why did I ever think that was possible and I I closed it and I gave up and but then in that moment that that voice of don't be that person that says I can't be the person that says I did kicked in and I thought to myself you know what is it that is physically impossible about me being able to do it and I realized I realized there was nothing I realized that the only difference between me and the people that were doing these things was simply the thoughts and beliefs in our own mind. It was just my mm. thoughts. It was just right. what I was telling myself. There was no real physical difference. There was no real incapability of uh, what I could do and what I couldn't do. It was, it was just the thoughts in my mind. So I, I proceeded to book the trip. I went um, and completely changed my life you know I, I, I overcame my shyness before I'd even left Europe I remember <laughs> being in a being in an airport in Europe and I just got talking to the guys in front of me because I could see they'd also got a British passport as well and I was like wow you know because there's nothing like being on your own in a foreign country that that forces you to that's right. be brave and that's start right. talking to people so yeah so you overcame and that is essentially what you are going to share with your clients. So tell us yeah. about what specifically you offer in your coaching mm-hmm. sessions. Mm-hmm. Who might be the type of person that would get the greatest advantage from this type mm-hmm. of coaching? So be specific and share with us what your coaching sessions involved and who might be mm-hmm. uh, interested. The people that might be interested are, are people who perhaps are going through uh, or sort of resonate with the kind of story that I've told where they realize that it's themselves holding themselves back from whatever it is they want to achieve. So, you know, whether it might be low confidence or low self-esteem or self-doubt or fear of failure or whatever it is, they kind of just know that what's standing in the way of whatever it is they want is really just themselves and there's just something in their own mindset or their or the way of thinking or the way of seeing things which could do with being different in order for them to sort of proceed uh, because like I said that's exactly what I realized I realized mm. the only thing that was stopping me from doing what I wanted to do was the thoughts I was telling myself and you know I think a lot of people really resonate with that feeling of holding themselves back and not going for things or not pushing themselves forward um and and also, I mean, my sort of goal with with coaching, it's not it's, the ultimate goal for the person is that they become the person they want to be. Great. So I, I don't really call myself a success coach. I, I'm not somebody that's 
there just to help a person hit the next revenue target or hit six figures or seven figures or to get that promotion or whatever it is. I, I don't, I, although I do help the client move towards tangible goals, the ultimate goal is about being the person they want to be. Um, because when you're being the person you want to be, then all of your goals will be achieved anyway. You know, so um, that was, again, that kind of resonates with my own story, which was I didn't want to be the person that said I can't. I didn't want to be the person that felt low, low confidence or low self-esteem or self-doubt, whatever. I wanted to be the person that was outgoing. I wanted to be the person that did go and do these things that did put myself out of my comfort zone. That's the person I wanted to be with a rich and fulfilling life. And so that really is the type of client that I work really well with somebody that is kind of aligned with that who also wants to be the best person they can be um and who's some somebody also who usually values basically what my definition of success is which is living a great life that you love um because you know the way I see it life is so precious we only have this one opportunity to live our life and then it's over and at some point it will be over for everyone and you know we're so blessed in you know the western world and our western societies that we we really do have the freedom to achieve anything that we want essentially and to live life as we choose and I really love to help people to to create whatever it is that they would love and and that can come in many forms you know if that for a person is to have this super successful business and that's what they'd love then that's great if for somebody else it's about actually cutting back their business and spending more time with their family that's great too the whole the whole point is just about enjoying the journey of life and and making the most out of it that's what I really love to help clients with and in terms of what the coaching offers a lot of my coaching is really focused around mindset thoughts, feelings, emotions, perspective. It's really looking at what's going on inside our mind as opposed to external tangible actions. So, for example, like I said before, I'm not sort of there to help people set tangible action steps like today I will send this email to that person and tomorrow I will uh, read that book or whatever. My coaching is more around like I said, the mindset, looking at our perspective and looking at how we can see things or think about things differently so that our reality changes because reality is just something that we make up and create in our own mind anyway. So you can change your reality just by changing the way you look at something or think about something. So that's really the kind of level that I work at in, in my coaching sessions. One of the things you said that I appreciate is that you help people reach attainable goals. I mm-hmm. think sometimes we, we want too much mm. and we have to go in steps, don't we? Yeah. You have to reach that first goal before you can attain maybe the, the big picture. Is that kind yeah. of the way that, that you coach people to take baby steps towards their goals? No, I think that depends on the person, really. There are some people who sometimes smaller steps are better, and it means that they're more likely to actually take those steps as opposed to setting big steps and then failing to do it. Uh, but there are other people that are quite happy to sort of take bigger steps because again that's all about just perspective anyway uh, one thing that I do really try to make sure of is 
I catch the client when they're playing small or where they're not pushing themselves or where they are holding themselves back. So, you know, I remember with one client, we didn't we didn't necessarily start the coaching off with the intention of her following her her passion, which was to create uh, and to write a novel. But over the course of the coaching, it became apparent that this is this was really where her heart was lying. However, she didn't feel that she could make it and so she was making all these excuses about it and saying oh well I don't have time to write the book or I'm never going to make money out of writing the book or whatever it was and you know I I pulled her up on that and I, I, I got to the source of why she was actually not doing this and and she realized that she was holding herself back and she realized that she was playing small and that was a big wake-up call for her and and you know she just all of a sudden she changed and she started giving her passion to it and now she loves it. And there's nothing mm-hmm. more rewarding for me than that, than seeing somebody just do what they love, essentially. So realizing their passion. That's, yeah, that's exactly. That's where you focus in. Yeah. So do you do the coaching sessions online, by Skype, on the phone? I mean, are you available in, in a variety of ways? Uh, yeah, so I, I work via Skype online. Um, Skype or Zoom is, is possible for So, yeah, all of my coaching sessions are online. So, uh, you know, it's great to be able to work with people from around the world. And, you know, I can obviously Excellent. be wherever I want as well, because that, again, was part of my dream. It's it, part of my dream is, you know, you know, to be authentic as a coach and to help people to live a life that they love. I kind of need to be living a life that I love as well. And, and part of that, part of that is to be able to be location independent and, uh, and it works great for me. So yeah, all of my coaching is online. I think it's really necessary to find a coach who walks her walk um, and well, walks her talk rather. Um, and, you know, and is actually actioning the thing that she's trying to help other people with like I said you know I'm really big on helping people to live a great life that they love and if I'm sat home being miserable then where's the authenticity in that you know well Amy I really appreciate what you shared because I think you touched on a lot of different areas that people all the way uh, from the low self-esteem and having to um, overcome that to Mm being told maybe telling yourself that you can't mm. do it and changing mm. that mindset to I can do it and mm. what you offer sounds awesome because I think not only attainable goals as you mentioned but having mm. people tap into their passion realizing yep. that this is what they want not what maybe mm. somebody else wants for them and and realizing that so you can help them through the sessions at their convenience via Skype. I think that's fabulous and would be very encouraging. And I can understand how you would certainly be a help in these areas because you've been there yourself and that's what it's all about. So anything in conclusion, Amy? So what do you have to offer the listeners today? Yeah, so as I uh, mentioned slightly earlier, I've created the love life plan which was the thing that I created to design my life and and break it up into the different areas because it's been so successful for me and like I said I still use it now uh, even five six years on I've created that into a template which my clients can access as well or or anybody that's listening it's a it's available as a free download on my website um, you just go onto the link, just put your email address and you'll get the template and it will talk you through how to do it and the kind of questions to sort of ask yourself. And you can use that as a guide for you as well in order to help yourself map out 
you know, what areas of your life are important to you, uh, how you want life to look like in these different areas, and how can you start to make that happen and take steps towards it. That's a great start, and I, for one, am going to mm-hmm. do that. So I thank Excellent. you for that, and I'm, mm-hmm. I encourage everybody to do that. And then from there, then you can uh, contact Amy and set mm-hmm. up a coaching session. Tell from the way she shared today, I think that you would really be able to relate to many, many listeners, and I thank mm-hmm. you for that. So thank you thank so you. much, Amy, for thank taking you. the time to share that with us today, and we look forward to good things for the listeners. (laughs) Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be on your show talking to you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.